Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. A couple of things before, if, if you have your Bibles, whether on your cell phone <coughs> or in print, you should turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Ezra, and Nehemiah together there. <clears throat> and this ninth chapter is really interesting. In fact, in the, New in the Old Testament, there are two or three books that have a special ninth chapter. Book of Daniel is one, book of De Nehemiah is another. Anyway, <clears throat> you need to find that. I want to mention this past Thursday night when the women came for their meeting, it was really wonderful, and I appreciate the enthusiasm and the support that you gave and the welcome that you gave our guest <clears throat> who demonstrated for us what Rahab was really like as best she could. And I asked her, <clears throat> her name's Carla Cloud, and I said, Carla, do you do other women of the Bible? And she said, yes, I do. And I said, like who? And she said, well, Eve. I said, I think the men would be interested in that. What do you wear? <laughs> and how big are the leaves? Yeah, I, I did not get an answer. I just got kind of a smirk. I don't know what that meant. Anyway, this coming Thursday night, there'll be a follow-up in, in the same meeting room in, back there. And uh, as we follow up, just to make sure we remember what we've learned and and we'll try to get it done within an hour and get you out of there. Because <clears throat> we want the, you women to get to the place where you not only know about Rahab and the first six chapters of the book of Joshua, but you know it well enough that you can explain it to other people. That's, that's where we're trying to get to the place where you know your Bible well enough that you can share it with other folks and, and be comfortable knowing that you know what you're talking about. And uh, that's, that's the goal that we're working toward. The reason this particular chapter is of great importance <clears throat> is because it's about the only place in the Bible that clearly states in a concise way what God considers to be the essentials precursors, the essential preconditions of revival. He's, in, in the text here, he's not talking about saving lost souls. He's talking about bringing life and vitality back to God's people. Because there are times when all of us fall into a funk. And, uh, and Israel had done that. I looked up the best, several different definitions for that word revival. And the best that I could find simply says the recovery of life and vigor. So the focus here in the ninth chapter is not on winning the neighbors. It's on getting our life where it belongs so that we have something to tell the neighbors. And uh, Israel, like so many of the rest of us, had gotten distracted because, see, they had been, 
there were about 50,000 people who over a period of time, after 70 years, almost 70 years, in Babylon, had been released under the king called Cyrus to come back to the Holy Land. And when they were there for a while, their, their crops weren't doing so well, and the Lord said to his prophet, if you want me to bless you, bless your animals to, to prosper, bless your crops to prosper, da-da-da-da-da, you need to do what we, you were sent back here to do to Jerusalem. You need to rebuild the walls of the city, rebuild the gates that had been burned, rebuild the temple itself, which is the kind of the cultural center of the country. So they did that. They did it, and, and, and they were commended for it. The problem was, even after they had the, the city restored for security purposes and the temple rebuilt, the people themselves were still self-centered instead of God-centered. They were just concerned about themselves. God said, you know, I'll prosper you. And that's what they were concerned about. They were concerned that their crops... <clears throat> were really good. They were concerned that their animals produced little ones. They were concerned about their, they were just all about themselves. The result was their spiritual life was virtually non-existent. And they were in trouble and didn't even know it. Ezra was the political leader even though he was a prophet, Ezra was the preacher. And Ezra took the, the law that was given to Moses, called all the people together, and didn't do anything except stand before them and read the law of the Lord. And when he did, there was a spontaneous reaction that we'll read about here in just a second. All of the great movements in Christianity have come when people were exposed to God's Word. And it's really that simple. The Reformation movement that we talk about that when we remember that Luther nailed the 95 themes or theses on the church door in Wittenberg in Germany, we remember that. But we don't remember very often what led up to that moment. In 1456, a guy named Gutenberg invented movable type. And that movable type made it possible to rapidly print and the first thing that he did was print a copy of the Bible. It's even referred to, and if you had one, you'd be a billionaire. It's called the Gutenberg Bible. And it became available then for the masses to read in their own language there in Germany. And when people started reading the Bible... And they started looking at what they were, how they were living and what the church was doing. They didn't match up. The result was, they said, 
the time has come when we have to, our churches and our individual lives, have to start matching up to what the Scripture says we're supposed to be if we wear the name of Christ. It led to what we refer to in both church history and and secular history as the Reformation movement, and the church was reformed. The two primary leaders in that Reformation movement were Martin Luther himself and, an, and, a, and another, and, and Luther, before, he, before the Reformation, uh, was an Augustinian monk. And the other great leader, John Calvin, and who, who was a Frenchman who eventually moved to Geneva, Switzerland, was also an Augustinian monk. Augustine was probably the, the most influential theological leader in the history of the church all the way back to the Apostle Paul. And much of the stuff that the church practices today that I don't agree with because I don't think it matches up to what the Scripture says, and especially in two or three areas. Augustine was an individual who emphasized that God controlled everything. Well, his ultimate will will be done because he is the king of glory. But it appears to me in Scripture that he that only God can put limitations upon himself. And it appears that he put a limitation upon himself to free people to choose whether they would love him or not and serve him or not. And that division still exists in the church today. The point being that whenever people are exposed and understand clearly the will of God as revealed in the Word of God, we invariably find flaws in ourselves and in what we're doing and areas that could greatly be improved. That's true with us as individuals. It's true of us as a church. Let's read what it, Nehemiah writes about how this took place among the Israelites. It's on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. That was the calling of the people together so they could read, read, read the word. They were asked to fast, fast and to wear sackcloth and put dust on their heads, which is a public demonstration of repentance. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. We'll talk about that in a minute. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. That was essentially three hours. And spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. That was the spontaneous reaction because they hadn't, for 70 years and then coming, but they hadn't been exposed to the Word of God. And suddenly they realized, here's, here's the God we say we worship, and here's what He expects. 
and here's what we're doing, and they don't match up very well. The people, you see, I had a, the, the reason I look so pretty today, I'm not trying to compete with Ralph, but I had a wedding yesterday afternoon in Chillicothe, and it was at 2 o'clock, and by the time it was over, and I had to be back here at 5, I didn't have time to, to dress like the rest of you scudsy-looking guys. And uh, so I just had to wear this thing. And if I had put on clean clothes instead of the ones I wore yesterday, my wife would have fussed at me. You know, you're, you're, that's going to cost you, because you pay more to get your clothes clean now than you did, you paid for them when you bought them. So, and, and she's kind of an Ebenezer Scrooge, and, and I would have suffered in a way that you don't want to hear about. So I put them on again, same one. Underwear, outwear, all wear, exactly the same. Yeah. What happened here, you too, huh? Uh, they, what happened here is, he, he, is Ezra, under the authority of Nehemiah, called the people together. And they did something that the church used to do that we don't do anymore. It's not required, but it's an indication of how we have kind of slipped away from the time when our churches and our country were in greater respect of the Word of God and the will of God. Back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, up through really the Second World War, in most of the churches that honored the Word of God, whenever it was, you had your New Testament reading and the Old Testament reading, and whenever they were read, the congregation stood. Now they stand to sing and sit when you read the Word of God. And it doesn't match up very good. These people, when they, he required probably that they stand there because they could get closer to him when he read the Word of God. And a spontaneous thing took place. The first thing that he, he, he said, these are conditions for revival among God's people. The first one was that you come together. The second one is that you separate yourselves from the, of, of those people who are around about you that influence you by the standards of the world instead of the standards of the Bible. So it says, those of the Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners. What he was really saying is that your cultural influence, any time that it's greater than your biblical influence, there is need for repentance. The word repentance means more than just the turning from what you're doing. It is the commitment to what the reason you turned turning from selfishness to seek God. That's what the issue was here. Seeking God. And seeking God is not looking for goosebumps. 
Seeking God is seeking what he wants you to do with the commitment that when we learn it, we'll do it. And we also have a tendency to think that bigness is a direct result of obedience. It isn't. Getting a big crowd is not that difficult. You let me give away $100 bills and they'll be standing in line down through the parking lot. It's not that tough. Our government does that all the time. Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, it isn't just what you're seeking as far as satisfying the lust of the flesh. Because you see, our, the culture outside the kingdom of God lives in a manner that seeks to satisfy your most basic lusts and desires. And they're all selfish. It's usually rooted in money and sex and power. And Ezra said, you need to come here and realize that that's not the will of God. Jesus actually said it this way to his disciples who were looking to be famous if they followed this young rabbi who was developing a reputation all over the country. And he looked them straight in the eye and said, if you're going to follow me, you must be willing to deny yourself if you're going to take up the cross and follow me. The book of Mark actually quotes the Old Testament law. When Jesus was approached one day, and, and it was a biblical scholar, really, who approached him and said, hey, I'm impressed with the answers you've given to the questions you've been asked. But let me ask you one. What is the single most important thing in the kingdom of God? And Jesus quoted the Old Testament and said, because that was their Bible of the day, he said, to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart. And the heart's not the pump in the chest. The word heart there means your innermost being. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, he was saying, with your entire being, it is seeking To obey and honor God. And the second he said is likened to it is you love your neighbor as yourself. And even the guy who was his opponent said, you've answered pretty well. Why? Because that's what the Old Testament said. When you go back to the reading of the law, it's recorded two times. In the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus and the 5th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. To sum it up, he says it this way. He said, God says that in verse 6, here's the way he said, I, if you're obedient, this is what I'll do for you. I'll show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
keeping his commandments and the people that he was reading to as he read that section along with it, they were saying, holy cow, what are we doing? They took it seriously. And they began to be honest about themselves. You know, it's easy for us to find flaws in other people, but we're kind of hesitant to find them in ourselves. And yet that's where we need to start because you can't do anything about my flaws. I have to do that. And you can, you're the only person that can work on your own sins and your flaws. See, they stood in their place, it said, and confessed when they, after they read the, the will of God, they confessed their sins. Now be careful here. Because they didn't stand up before everybody else and start confessing their sins. That's, they confessed their sins, but they confessed their sins to God. Because he's the one they had sinned against, right? So they were... Now the New Testament does say it's helpful in some instances to confess your faults to one another and pray for one another for healing. But let me tell you something, just common sense. Be very careful who you confess to. There's not one in a hundred who will keep it to themselves. God doesn't rat on people, but people do. So they were confessing their sins on their knees, probably on their face, on the ground and before God because they felt the weight of their own sins and they realized how that separated them from God. And when you're seeking the presence of God and you realize that what you're doing or saying separates you, you then repent and try to get rid of that so you can draw nigh unto the Lord because His promise says this, if you draw nigh unto me, I'll draw close to you. And so they became honest with themselves and they confessed their sins and then they did something else. They confessed that their past had had some mistakes in it. And, all, and, and they're not just talking about themselves here. They're talking about mom and dad and grandpa and grandma. A lot of the problems that our young people have today, we parents and grandparents greatly contributed to. We made them a generation of takers without giving. We did that. We gave our children on a Friday or Saturday, we gave them a a stipend that they didn't earn. But it's a whole lot easier for us to do that than to say, make your bed and help mama fix breakfast and clean, run the sweeper. Earn what you get, and if you don't earn it, you don't get it. That's the way our culture was created at the outset. You earn what you get. And if you take what you haven't earned, you're a freeloader. And we created a generation of freeloaders because we didn't 
help them learn to earn for themselves. And yet now we're complaining about a whole culture of freeloaders. We have to admit our failures of the past as well as the present. The good thing here was that uh, they lived with the promise and they knew it to be true that if they repented of their sins and worshiped the Lord, they would be forgiven and they could start over again. You see, God's goodness and mercy, and I've got some friends, I don't know whether you do or not, but I've got some friends who've never become a Christian because they think they're so bad that God just couldn't, they just no way they could be forgiven. We haven't done a very good job, evidently, of letting them know that the magnitude of God's grace and mercy is such that whatever you've done, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover. Blots out sin from the, and God says, and when it's covered by the blood, I can't see it. So God accepts us, and, and when we go here in the same a chapter to verses, what, 34 and 35, here's what he says. Our, he's talking about the past people. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers did not uh, follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings that you gave them. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them, in this spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you nor turn from their evil ways. In my lifetime, when I look back to see when it looked like things started into, they had peaked out and started on the downhill, the one thing that stands out in my mind is when we allowed our country to refuse to have prayer and Bible reading in schools. Because when I started to school, just right after the flood, that's supposed to be funny, folks. Wake up, you know. We started school every day with the reading of a verse, Lord's Prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance, every day. And we all knew it. And they made it illegal. They don't even, in most cases, now there are a few schools whose boards have held the line, a few principals and who've held the line, but sooner or later, unless we do something magnificent, I really, pray for and appreciate our school leaders who have held the line. It's not easy on them. Because you see, our government can have made it so that they ha handle all the money. And, th and if you don't shape up, they can withhold the money. And you can't run a school without it. That's the reason sometimes I think maybe for the future of our children, we may have to start our own schools. It's expensive and difficult.
they were saying not only did our, were our past fathers that we did we mess up in the past, but we're messing up now too, and that you don't have to be very bright. And and, and I wonder how. And I've wondered in preparation for this morning, how do you separate yourself from the culture that's all around us long enough to focus on the will of God? How do you do that? How do you d deny yourself to the extent uh, of, of being able to focus just on seeking the presence of God in your life? Not for a moment, but in, on a continuum. I decided, there's, I've gotten to the place where I don't watch much TV except Cheyenne and uh, what, is, what is the other one? Uh, uh, not, it's it's uh, Andy Griffith. That's about it, you know. Barney and I are, are getting to be a lot alike, I think. <laughs> But I think the, the influence of the television is not as great on our young folks as the Internet. And the Internet is not as great an influence as the iPhone. And I'm convinced that as parents and grandparents in a position of authority we should greatly limit the influence of all of them if they're going to be able to seek and to find the presence of God and his influence in their life. And it isn't going to be easy, and you're going to be a nasty old mom and dad. But the Lord didn't ask you to be their buddy. He asked you to be their parent. And it isn't always easy. I think we're going to have to figure a way, and everybody has to kind of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling here. I think we're going to have to desire in our hearts to start over with God being the primary influence in our life. He went from talking about the sins of our fathers, that's easy to pick out and to throw stones. But then he said in verse 37, because of our sins... Here's the result. The abundant harvest goes to the political leaders that have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. And we're in great distress. What he's saying is the government officials are existing just for themselves because that's the culture we live in. And we can't be that way. We have to live for the single purpose of honoring the God that created us and saved us. And then he goes to the extent of telling us how we do that. Now remember, these are the necessary preconditions for revival. Everybody wants revival, but they don't want to do what's necessary for it to happen. When you go over to the 10th chapter, he continues in the discussion here, and he says... The first thing we have to do is start honoring God in our relations, our marriage relationships. 
Most of us chose the woman because she had a classy chassis and a good personality. We're motivated by, by, by sexual desires and what we see. And yet the New Testament and the Old Testament says, guys, that ain't the way the game's to be played in the kingdom of God. We don't like to be told. You tell a young guy, you better stay away from her. She's a problem. I'll go with whoever I want to go with. Yeah, you will, and you'll pay the price. Here's what they promised after they read the law of God. Here's what they promised after they understood what God wanted. Verse 30, chapter 10. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our own sons. The New Testament actually says it this way. Be ye not unequally yoked together, believer with unbeliever. Jesus addressed that same subject this way. He said, what relationship is there between light and darkness? You start, Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you'll start doing what I ask you to do, and I've, I've made as clear as I can, if you'll start doing that and obeying me, Great and interesting things will happen even though it may be difficult and in cases you will suffer as a result of it. Not only did they say we will, we will seek out. Here's, here's the deal. And it's, it gets a little gross, but that's all right. Because this whole business is kind of gross at times. Would you rather have a girl that when you walk down, now here's, here's the way men think, for those of you who still wear a skirt. A guy likes to go down the street with a woman hanging on his arm that everybody looks at and, and envies him. That's the way I did my picking. But that's the way of the world. Would you rather have a girl like that who later on will find somebody with more money than you got who are better looking than you? That, I, mean, I never had that problem, but anyway. <laughs> but it did have the money problem. And she sneaks off and has an affair with them. Most of the people, adults, that commit suicide are used to came as a result of a broken relationship in a marriage? Or would you choose someone who may not be as pretty on the outside, but whose love for the Lord and whose glow of the presence of the Spirit of God is even seen in her eyes and her face and her commitment to her husband is heartwarming to watch? You see, one is the way the world operates. The other is the way God says is necessary for you to build a home that honors him. And we failed at that. 
Now, not only, not only, by the way, they were there for three hours, so don't you holler if I go over. But they did something else that we don't do anymore, and, and, and I really think that the violation of this particular one is, the, is a, direct cause, a direct cause for many of the broken homes. He said here in verse 31 of the 10th chapter, When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise and grain and sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. One of the sweet memories that I have as a kid growing up, financially we didn't have much. We had an old 30, I learned to drive in a 32 Model A Ford. And my pappy used to say, we're lucky to have it. But on a Sunday morning, we got up and we had, on the farm, you had to milk the cows and slop the hogs and feed the chickens. They had to do that. Then we changed their clothes, hosed off a little bit. We didn't have indoor plumbing. Literally, the shower was done this way out of a wash pan. And then we all got in the old 30 Model A and we went to church. And after church, it takes about 30 minutes to get to Grandma's house. We'd go to Grandma's and the women would get in the kitchen. It sounded like a hen house. But they were fixing one of the best meals that anybody ever put on a table. The men would sit out under an apple tree and the kids would play softball or fight or both. But they took a day of rest. It was a day of worship and a day of rest. Now, you had your necessary chores, but, you know, that's okay. Because you had to milk the cows twice a day. You had to shut the hen house door to keep the weasels and the other things out of there. But there was a commitment... To let the, we had two old horses, we didn't have a, a tractor. And Dad always said, they need rest just like we do. A day of rest, you know, a lot of couples break up because they're just tired. And you know what happens when you get tired? You get grumpy. My first wife keeps telling me that on occasion. She says, you're older than dirt and you need to rest once in a while. And I tell her, you ain't as old as I am, so get up and get with it. <laughs> and that doesn't work either. <laughs> but what I'm simply saying is, I think we better give some consideration to the limitations that we have. On Sundays, we, we have athletic events, a whole bunch of other stuff. 
And nobody knows how to rest. Nobody knows how to whittle and spit. Nobody learns how, knows how, to, how to swing on the front porch. And the result is it's hard to find a family that there's not a divorce or two in. And usually they're pretty good people. They're just tired. Just tired. Then the other thing, but this will, this will not be too happy either, but the preconditions here, of re- everybody wants revival. They want, you know, the Spirit of God to come upon us. Well, He will when we do what He says are the necessary preconditions for Him to do it. Well, the last one was this, verse 32. Oh, there are others, but these are the ones that I picked. We assume the responsibility, this is verse 32, chapter 10, Nehemiah, of carrying out the command to give a third of a shekel of silver each year for the service of the house of our God, to provide the bread set out on the tables for the grain offerings, the burnt offerings, the offering for the Sabbath, the new moon festivals of appointed feasts for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all of the duties of the house of God. My dad used to put a dollar in the bucket. We, we, we passed an offering plate at the Christian Church in Metropolitan, Germantown, Kentucky. The deacons passed the offering plate. And Mother would give each one of us a nickel, and if we didn't have a nickel when the plate went by, you acted like you did anyway and, and let it go on. But the commitment that they made was, look, we built the temple. The problem is it's just a shrine. And the time has come for us to participate in the worship of God and not just observe the fact that it exists. You know, I was talking to Joe Lester last night. He came in and he was complaining about the buildings that they had, that he owns, that the air conditioner was broke, the heater didn't work, da-da-da-da. And he said it's all the time. And that's the same problem we have here. There's something needing fixed all the time. And this bill, we would not be here today after the church split and after COVID if we hadn't been able to go out beyond here with friends and raise another $140,000 we brought in in addition to what you are, because we still have to pay $5,000 a month on our loan. New air conditioners back in the original building. There's something all the time, and it's expensive. The people there realize that And they said, and they assumed the responsibility of carrying out the command 
to maintain the temple. Now, this is not a temple. You are the temple. But it's the gathering place for those who are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What he was saying here to the Israelite people who had wandered off into their own cultural pagan world, then they were coming back. He was saying, putting God first in your life must be your life's priority, not a one day a week thing. And revival, the, the new life that comes will come when we on an individual basis assume to meet what he has said are the necessary preconditions for him because he said, I'm going to withhold my blessing until you do what I've asked you to do and when you do that, you'll not be able to, to, to count the blessings that I'll shower upon you as, you, as my people. These are those conditions that we've talked about. Honoring the Word of God is the beginning. Separating yourselves from the evil influence. If you have a good friend who is a pagan, they're influencing your life more than you probably realize. And so the fellowship that you have should be with God's people. You merit your daughters and your sons should marry other believers. What? That's he's saying. And when you do this, then the focus will be on God Himself. And when you focus on the presence of God and you obey His will, He will shower you with blessings. But it begins with us. And it begins here. As we honor his word and assume our responsibilities and keep our promises. I have seen once or twice in 86 years God shower a church with an unusual manifestation of his presence and words are inadequate to explain the joy the great joy that fills the life of the congregation. I hope you live to see it again. But it will come when we meet his preconditions for him to shower us with blessings. So Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for you're so merciful and gracious to us. Help us through the power of your Holy Spirit and the encouragement of each other 
to meet these conditions of, salve, of, of revival for those of us who are saved. And bring again, I pray, O oh God, the freshness of our spirit that we received when we first were born again. We pray that you will bless us, O oh God, not because we deserve it, It has to be because of your grace. And help us, O oh God, to meet these preconditions and await for the outpouring in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.